today we're gonna see the tragedy, that this grace, this grace that robs us from the grave, we're gonna see the tragedy of us denying this grace that God is offering us, denying this embrace of God's grace. And we're gonna see what it does to us. And we're gonna look at, so this treasure of God's grace, we're gonna see how we deny it, particularly we deny it because of pride. So it's denial by pride. There's a denial by indifference. And there's a denial that happens to us that we're sincerely following Jesus, yet at the same time, we're denying him. We're forgetting this grace that he's offering us. So we're in, we're in John 18, verses 15 through 27. If you want to open up your Bibles, you want to scroll on your phones and scroll down, uh, but we're gonna, or it's going to be on the screen. So John 18, verse 15 through 27. So here's the setting. Peter has been essentially bragging to Jesus about how he would, he's going to follow him even to his own death, Peter says. And Jesus says over and over again to Peter, Peter, there's going to come a day when you're going to deny me. And Peter's like, no, 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 this is never going to happen. And today we're going to pick up. And, and what Peter has just done just before this, so Jesus has just been arrested. He's taken before the religious leaders and he's essentially this trial is starting. But before that happens, Peter cuts off the ear of one of the servants of one of the religious leaders. Peter's like fighting this and he's trying to say like, no, I'm the guy that's not gonna let this happen. And Jesus says, no, this is part of the plan for me to go to the cross from the beginning. This is all part of the plan, Peter. Step aside right now. Peter, overconfident, let's pick up and see what happens. So here's what it says, verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, are you also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. First denial. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching, and Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I have said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand. This, I mean, in the Greek, this is like an open face slap is what happens, saying, and so he slaps him and then says, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. Second denial. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again, third, denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Now first, there's a number of denials that are happening here. And the first, we're gonna, the first denial that we're going to look at is the denial that happens because of pride. And particularly, this is a religious pride. Interesting, right? 
a religious pride that is causing people to deny Jesus. Now, there's some Old Testament knowledge that's required here. So let me just give you a background. Isaiah 45, verse 19, God says, I am the Lord, your God. There is no other. I have said nothing in secret. And then Isaiah 50, verse six, it says, I did not hide my face from insult. So in the other gospels, we see that Jesus is not just struck, slapped in the face, but we actually see he's spit on and insulted. And then what we know from Isaiah 42 through 53, all of these chapters are basically about the God, the God King who's come to serve, this be the servant King who's gonna give his life for his people out of love. And by doing that, he's gonna offer them grace. Now, here's what's just happened here. Jesus is saying, I'm the God of the Old Testament who is here to offer you grace. And the religious leaders slap the face of grace. He said, I'm here. I'm the long-awaited one that you've been waiting for. And then they slap the face of grace. This is similar to, to a, let's say a woman having cheated on her spouse and her spouse or husband is searching all over for him. She cheats and then she runs away and the, and, and the husband is searching all over for her, wants to find her, telling everyone, I still love her. I want to reconcile this. I want us to be together again. So he searches all over for her. He finally finds her and he runs up to her, embraces her and says, let's go home. I forgive you. I'm offering you grace. Let's just go home. And she pushes away the grace that he's offering and slaps him in the face. And that's exactly what religious pride looks like. The whole job of these religious leaders is to tell people of the God of grace who is coming and who is here. And he's here. He's right before them. The God of grace. And they slap him. They slap the face of grace. Why? Because they don't think they need grace. Now, I gotta tell you, this happens all of the time in churches. This is, we can call these people God slappers. And I know that kind of sounds funny to say the word God slapper, but listen, this is a very serious thing. It's happening in churches everywhere in America, and it's one of the biggest problems actually for the church in America. A God slapper is someone who is being offered this beautiful treasure of grace, and they say, I don't need grace, and they slap the face of grace away. Because in their mind, they have this moral record that is good. They don't need grace. They have a religious pride about them. They're basing their Christianity not off of the goodness of Christ, but their own goodness. But that is not what Christianity is. Christianity is about abandoning your own record and taking up the record of Christ. I mean, you've got an option. You've got your, this hand has your record in it and this hand has the record of Christ in it. And you come to God and you're either offering your record or Christ's record. And you've got to pick one. And the person with this religious pride is offering up their own moral record. But the Christian is saying, no, I'm abandoning my record and I'm offering Christ's record. Essentially, 
A God slapper is someone who thinks they're a Christian because they are good. But if you, see, here's the thing. If you ask a Christian, are you a sinner? They say, yeah, I feel like I'm the worst sinner that there is. I mean, I feel like a sinner, but I have a God who's been so gracious to me. But a God slapper, if you ask them if they're a sinner, they say, "Mm, no, at least not like these other people. I'm not. See, a, a grace slapper thinks God grades on a curve and they think they're up at the top of the list, the moral elite. But a Christian knows God does not grade on a curve. And even if he did grade on a, grade on a curve, we would not, all of us would still not reach high enough to be able to have the record that we need. And so the Christian says, I'm coming to God out of grace, for grace. I'm coming to him for mercy, for grace. And grace slappers, many of them would say that Jesus is God. They just don't think he's a God of grace. And you've probably met grace slappers. They're really all over the place. Um, They potentially have been involved in churches their whole life. They know the Bible very well, and they are very judgmental. And the reason that they're so judgmental is because in their minds, you have to reach a certain level of morality. And in their minds, they have reached it. And there's other people who have not. And so what do they do? They can look down at those other people who have not reached the moral status that they have reached. And they, anybody that has not reached that moral status, they can look down upon. And then they seem judgmental. Christian is not judgmental if they are holding on to grace because they have tasted a grace they didn't deserve and so they're offering grace to others. Or maybe, maybe right now you're like, okay, I gotta get my life together. So I'm gonna start one by going to church. I'm gonna get this list of rules that I'm gonna follow and I'm gonna follow this list of rules the best that I can. And I wanna tell you, if that is you, you are in very close danger to becoming a grace slapper. You're basing Christianity off of following a list of rules, slapping grace away that keeps being offered to you over and over and over again. Grace is something, guys, don't miss this. Grace is something that you receive that you did not deserve, but it's a beautiful thing that you receive that you didn't deserve. And if you think, if you think heaven has been earned through your moral record, you will become a smug grace slapper. So here's, here's something, you, like here's a litmus test, okay? Are you constantly keeping score? Are you constantly comparing yourself to other Christians? Who's who's the better Christian right here? If so, you might be in danger of being a grace slapper. If, are you always looking down at people who are different than you, who think different than you? If so, you might be a grace slapper. Do you find yourself talking bad about people a lot? If so, you're an insecure grace slapper. Here's why. Because if you feel like, man, I gotta, I gotta have this moral standing, I gotta have this moral status, and I gotta reach this certain level. And if you're not reaching that level, what you have to do is you have to belittle everyone around you 
so that they get below you, at least in your mind, and then, in a sense, you are trying to self-justify yourself. So when you're talking bad about people, it's a way to say, like, okay, I'm a grace slapper, and I'm a little bit of an insecure one, so I'm going to push everybody else down so I could feel like I'm moving up, at least in my mind. And listen, guys, don't think that you are beyond this. The most pop, just because you go to church, the most populated place to find grace slappers is in the church. In fact, they're the religious leaders in our verses today. Okay, so that's the first way we're denying grace. We slap it away. I don't need this. The second way is we become indifferent to grace. So this is a denial by indifference. So can you see, let me ask you this question, can you see the person who's indifferent to grace in our text? You can't because they're not there. They would never be there. To see the face of grace and to know this is happening with Jesus, the God of grace, they would never care to show up at something like this. They don't feel like they need Jesus at all. They just have kind of a mild reaction to him. They don't slap grace. They don't embrace grace. They're just indifferent to it. It's a denial by indifference, and it's pretty common. And here's what it looks like. It's kind of like a shoulder shrug to Jesus. Like, ah, Jesus, he's a good guy. Like, he's done a lot for the world. That's great. Like, look at what he's done. He's impacted the world. And there's a lot of Christians who are like, yeah, he's my savior. And that's good. Like, good for them. But, eh, Jesus, you know. But here's the thing. You can't really shrug your shoulders at Jesus because of the claims that he makes about himself. He claims to be God, so either he is God and you bow to him, or he claims to be God and, and is not, and so what should you do? You should slap him in the face. If he is claiming to be God and is not God, that does deserve a face slap, right? So you can't get around the things that Jesus says about himself. And there's a bit of a, there's a I keep doing this, like, if there was music, you would think I was dancing. So there's a bit of a pride to this shoulder shrug because what it is is you have God, God of all creation, and he's coming to offer you grace, but giving his life for you, and you just kind of go, ah, like, I don't know if I need you or not. I mean, there's, there's a bit of a pride behind that as well. And then someone says, okay, yeah, but let's talk about Christians. Christians are very prideful, right? No, they shouldn't be. And here's why. The Christian would not say that they have found God. They would say that God has found them. The Christian is not saying, look at my moral record. Look at all the stuff that I have done. Look how much God loves me because of what I've done. They say, I am not worthy of this, but God has been gracious to me and he's giving me something that I don't deserve. So the Christian ought to be drained of pride and have complete humility in everything they do. The Christian can admit that they're in a relationship with God, not because they are good, but because of the goodness of Christ on their behalf. They have nothing to boast in but Christ alone. 
All I'm saying here is that you at least need to investigate the claims of Christianity. You at least need to read the Bible and then have a conversation with other people who have wrestled with the same doubts that you're wrestling with and talk to them about it and at least have a conversation. Here are my doubts. How did you deal with these doubts? There's too much at stake for us to just ignore these claims of Christianity. Don't let your pride keep you away from him. Greatest treasure the world has ever known. And part of the problem, I gotta be honest with you about this, part of the problem of why people are indifferent to Jesus is actually because of the way Christians see Jesus, the way Christians interact with Jesus. Let me, let me show you what I mean. So there's a Facebook post, that, this is a picture that keeps popping up on my newsfeed. And it's a picture of Jesus and this little girl. And this little girl is holding a teddy bear that she loves so much. And Jesus is asking her for the teddy bear. But behind Jesus' back is an even bigger teddy bear. And basically what it's saying is, if this little girl, if you will give Jesus your little teddy bear, he's gonna give you a big old teddy bear. But here, and there's some truth behind this, but here's the thing. The treasure in Christianity is not the teddy bear. The treasure in Christianity is not the stuff that Jesus can give you. The treasure is him. So in Christianity, you aren't saying, Jesus, here's my stuff. You're saying, Jesus, here's me. Take me. And then he's responding with, here, now you have me. And it's just just like we're losing ourselves in him and we're being like swallowed up in him and yet we are becoming more of who we're made to be. It's not that we're losing ourselves; We're losing ourselves to find our true self because we've lost ourselves in our God and our creator and the one who's designed us to live a certain way. Nothing is more relevant than him. Okay, and that's what the Christian has come to realize, that nothing, he is the great treasure. Nothing is more relevant than him. And so the Christian, though, falls into a trap as well. So the Christian tastes this grace and loves this grace and then forgets it, walks away from it. Exactly what Peter did. It's a denying of Jesus while we're following him. That's the third way we deny God. So Peter is a follower of Jesus. And Peter loves Jesus and has absolutely every intention of following him even to Peter's own death. That's what he says to Jesus. And I believe Peter's sincere here. I believe Peter really thinks that he's gonna do this. And then Jesus says to him, Peter, you have the heart of a denier. And Peter's like, no, 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 I don't, no, I don't. Jesus says, yes, Peter, you do. It's gonna happen. And essentially, us, if you're a Christian, you're like Peter, and you see that Jesus is the greatest thing that's ever happened to you. You've tasted grace, and you're all in, and then something keeps happening to you. You keep forgetting about the grace. You keep forgetting about the treasure. You're not slapping grace away, you're just forgetting about it. And you're going back to old habits. And I'm telling you, this is so harmful for you. I wanna show you, so here's some of the ways that we act like Peter. If you're a Christian, here's some of the ways that you are acting just like Peter and it's causing so much grief and pain in your life. So here's the first thing. 
Are you constantly feeling guilt and shame in your life? And if you are, you are denying the grace of Christ. If you have looked upon the face of grace in Christ, you have tasted this guilt and this shame that is washed away, yet we keep walking back to it because we keep denying him. What Jesus wants is for you to exchange your guilt and your shame for this radical love and this radical acceptance that he is offering you through what he's done on the cross. So why do you feel so much guilt and shame in your life? Because you're walking away from grace. You've forgotten it. And if you're a Christian, you need to hear this right now. You've got to hear this. When you sin, don't run to guilt and shame. Run to Christ. You can beat yourself up all you want, and it will do nothing good for you. You go run to guilt and to shame. And I'll tell you what, you can modify, guilt will modify your behavior. Guilt will make you look different on the outside. And it's gonna destroy you on the inside. It's gonna eat you up. You are slowly developing the sickness inside of you because you keep running to guilt, thinking that guilt is gonna change you, that shame is gonna change you, but it's not. The only thing that changes you from the inside out is Christ. Guilt can modify your behavior, but it will not do inside of you what you want to be done inside of you. Look, if my son, like my son, if, if he gets in trouble or something and he's like, comes to me, his head's low and he feels guilty or shame about something, if I'm being a good dad in that moment, I lift up his head and I say to him, I love you. And when I do that, he's changed by it even in that moment, because he went from feeling guilt and shame to feeling loved. And that love actually changes him and compels him to live differently. It literally changes him in that moment where he went from sadness to happiness because he is hearing that he is loved. Now, if I, a sinful, sinful man, can do that, imagine what God can do for you when he lifts your head up. And he says, in the midst Sin that you have just done, he lifts up your head and he says, I love you. No matter what you do or don't do, I love you because of your faith in Christ who's covered all of the things that you have done. You're good. Stop running from him because of your sin and run to him because of your sin. It's only his grace that's gonna change you. He knows you fully and yet still loves you completely through the work of Christ. So that's the first way a Christian denies Jesus. The second way a Christian denies Jesus is not just by denying his grace, but particularly denying his gracious kingship. Now, what, here's the thing about a king. What a king asks you to do something, when a king asks you to do something, you do it but it's different with Jesus because he is a gracious king. He is a king who has died for you. Died for you, risen from the grave. I know this is crazy, these claims of Christianity, but this is what we're holding our faith in. This is the great hope of Christianity that this is actually true. So he rises from the grave and then he's the king who has died for you who says, now live like this. 
That is way different. Do not make the mistake of thinking that Christianity is about joyless duty like, oh, Jesus is asking me to live this way and oh, I don't really want to do this. Listen, if the king of all creation dies for you and then says, I've got the better way for you to live and here's how you got to live, you're going to go run and do it with this great joy because it's the God who loves you more than you love yourself and he's willing to die for you. It's a response to all that he's done with gratitude. That's the motivation of Christianity, not joyless duty. If you had a king, and I know we're in a democracy, so it's hard for us to think about king, but if we had a king, and that king had all the power in the world, yet he laid down all of his power and died for us, our motivation for obeying that king would be completely different. Christian obedience is motivated by grace and by love, not by fear of punishment. How could it be a fear of punishment? Do you know why? All of the punishment that we would have deserved was handled by Jesus on the cross, so there is no punishment left for us. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So now we are free from all of that. And I gotta tell you, you are operating out of fear. We all are operating out of fear far more than we realize. But perfect love casts out fear. And then you live a life that's motivated by love, God's love for you, your love for God, and your love for others. And Peter, here's the thing about Peter. Peter was scared. Peter tailed and ran from Jesus. scared little guy. He was just bragging about how much he's going to follow Jesus. Now he looks like this scared little guy. Now listen, there's a, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now here's what happens. You go to God, fear, but then what you find is he offers you grace. You go to God. God, have mercy on me. And guess what he does? He showers you with mercy. He showers you with grace. But everything else you run to that has control of you, that you are fearing, it does not offer you grace. It just crushes you more and more and more. So Peter was scared. He didn't run to God. And what was he was scared of was controlling him. So what is, what is controlling you that you are scared of? Fear of what others think about you. Fear of failure, fear of losing control, fear of being uncomfortable. All of those things melt away when you discover the king of grace. His power and his grace, the combination melts all of those things away. And suddenly you don't care what other people think about you. I mean, in a good way, you don't care what other people think about you because you have all the acceptance that you need from the king of creation. You're not scared of failing anymore because you're thinking now with eternity in mind. You know your future is set and so you can make risks today and it is fine because you know how the story ends. You would rather him be in control of your life than you be in control and then you find comfort is found in the arms of him. And here's the other thing that happens to you. This gracious king you find yourself loving the things that he loves. Now, what does Jesus love more than, I mean, what does he love? What did Jesus die for? He died for 
his church. To not love his church is the third way we deny Jesus. Why would I say that? I'm not talking about the grove. I'm talking about the church in general. Here's why I would say that. Because the church is called the body of Christ. Jesus literally says, I am the head and the church is the body. Now that doesn't mean that the church is perfect, but listen, if you're only willing to love the things that are perfect, you're gonna have a very, very lonely life. To not love Jesus' church, not love Jesus' church is like this. You love someone so much. Let's say this is your spouse and your spouse has this friend on the other side of the world and this friend is in trouble. This friend needs to be rescued. And so your spouse wants to go rescue the friend. But the spouse says to you, your spouse says to you, I'm gonna have to risk my life to go help my friend. And I might die as I go and do this. So your spouse says, and if I die and my friend lives, take care of my friend. Love my friend like I love my friend. And then it happens. Now, don't you think if your spouse had given their life, you do not want their life to be lost in vain. And so you devote your life to seeing the success of that person that your spouse died for. Now that's exactly what Jesus says to his disciples. And that is exactly what he says to us about his church, that he has died for his church. His church is the people. It's not the building. It's not the grove. It's the church worldwide. God's people. He died for them. To love Jesus is to love his church. And it's very, very common to hear, you know, I love Jesus, but I don't think I like the church very much. And I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying the church isn't messed up in lots and lots and lots of ways. We talked about that tons. Well, here's the thing. If you say, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church, either you don't know Jesus and what he loves, or you don't really love him, because to love him is to love what he loves, and he loves the church. He died for the church. And, and you know, I know I'm, I like to pick on Christians anyway, so here, here's the thing, here's the thing about Christians, is because there's so many churches, Christians do this thing where they're like, let me walk into this church, and let me evaluate Let me write down in my mind the things I like and the things that I don't like about this church or that church and that church. And and listen, we want to do everything with excellence here. But what I want to encourage everybody to do is to not have this checklist, but to say, hey, we could do this better. I want to help with this. Let's do this together to make everything excellent, all for the purpose of seeking to write stories of new life in Christ for the people in our city and the people in your lives to help see a city that is transformed by this message of Jesus Christ. To together, let's do this as a family, not as a business, not as a people who are evaluating, hey, do we have this right? Hey, do we have this right? Hey, do we have this right? But just as a family together saying, God is doing something amazing. He's already done it for me. So let's go out and do this together and let's bring people back into this. And that's the fourth way that we deny Christ, is we deny the calling 
that he's given us. So third is loving the church. But fourth is the calling that he's placed upon every single Christian. Every single Christian has been commissioned by Christ to seek to write stories of new life through his message and through his love. Every Christian is called a missionary. Every single one. We have been sent out. So you have been loved by God, but we don't want to box this love away, but we want to offer this love out to all the world around us. And when we don't embrace that calling, we're denying Christ. Every Christian, missionary in their own context. See, here's what the message of Christ does. The message of Christ forms the church, and then let, guess what happens after that? The church, as God's people, go out. And as they go out, they're carrying this message of hope and they're connecting people to this message of hope and then these people are coming back. Or they're just loving people and they're loving people so much that it's drawing them into the church. And then they, they're brought into the church and then they discover this message of hope and guess what? Now they're part of the church and then they go out and they bring more people back in them. And then guess what happened? A movement has just formed and it's the beginning, the kernel of a city being changed. I mean, that sounds fun. I'm on board for that, um, but we tend to deny that calling, and therefore, we're denying our Savior. And look, you've got two options. You can come here on Sunday. I can come here on Sunday. We could all come here on Sunday, and we can come here, and then we can go, and we can stay disengaged in this and by the way, this calling, I mean, if, you, if you're feeling like your life has no purpose, you take hold of this calling, you're going to feel so much purpose and meaning in your life. So, so instead of just coming here and being disengaged after, if you'll be engaged throughout the entire week of this calling that God's given you, here's what's going to happen. You're going to come here and you're going to be thirsty for grace because the grace is going to be the thing that strengthens you to go out and engage in the purpose and calling that God has given you. Loving people like you have already been loved. And at the right time, in your context, when people are ready to hear, you say, ah, oh, I've got this message of hope. And I think, I think you would like it. Or just bring them here. And, and I mean, I'll talk to them. I like to talk. So whatever. But let's just all get on board for this. And let me just offer you encouragement because every single one of us, we've denied Christ in some way. Every, sing, every single one of us have denied Christ in some way. So what I wanna do is I wanna introduce you to three people. Okay, first person, if you're, if you're someone who's feeling like you've been slapping the face of grace, I wanna introduce you to Paul. Paul has probably slapped the face of grace more than anybody else. Paul literally was murdering Christians and then something happened. The grace of God got a hold of him, and he's probably one of the greatest movement leaders in the history of the world where he has taken this message of hope, this message of grace, and he's brought it throughout the entire world. He was a grace slapper. Second guy, so if you're feeling like you've just been indifferent to God, like, eh, 
Shoulder shrugs to Jesus. If you've been feeling like you've been doing that, here's the next guy. The guy's name is Simon. Not Simon Peter, a different Simon. Simon was disengaged with Christ and he was forced to do something. He was forced to carry the cross of Christ. Simon had the privilege of carrying the instrument through which God would save the world. Someone completely disengaged. He might be doing that with you right now. The third person, if you feel like you're a Christian and you just keep failing, like, oh, I keep going back to guilt and shame, and I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I just feel so much guilt and shame in my life, and it's exhausting, and it won't go away, but I don't know what to do. If that's what you're feeling like, or if you're feeling like, man, I have this gracious king, but I can't seem to do the things that he's asking me to do. Oh, I'm such a failure. Or if you're feeling like, I just don't love the church. Or if you're feeling like, I see this great calling, but I don't want to do it. If you're feeling like any of those things, Peter Peter fails over and over and over again, and he's so confident, but then he just keeps failing, failing over and over and over again, denying Christ over three times. Peter is the guy that Jesus built his church upon. He's the rock in which the church stands, a failure. What happened to these people? They discovered a grace that they didn't deserve. They discovered a hidden treasure that they didn't deserve. A treasure that came and found them and gave them everything they wanted and more. Everything and more. A new record, completely changed heart in a world that is to come. And they were changed to the core. We just got to take hold of the message and go to him, our great treasure. He's way better than a teddy bear. So we just got to go run to him. All right, let's pray. God, I pray that you would win us over right now by your grace. God, I pray that if we are slapping away the face of grace, that we would lay down our pride and we would take hold of this grace that is being offered to us. God, if we have been indifferent to you, I pray that you would force us to be engaged so that we might carry our own cross and die to ourselves and live to you. That we might lose ourselves in you and then by losing ourselves in you, we might find the, the us that we're made to be. And God, if we keep being people who are feeling guilt and shame, or if we keep on failing and seeking to live the way that you've called us to live, or if we just don't like the church, or if we just don't want to engage in the calling, God, I pray that you would shower us with a grace that wins us over so we might go all in with you. We would throw every chip that we hand have in with you. We wouldn't just give you our teddy bear, but we would give you everything that we have, but not just everything that we have, that we would give you ourselves. Let us be bold in risking that for you because you promise us that in return, we get you. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.